Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. According to the Indy Star, Indiana's recidivism rate was 37% in 2016. In hopes of reducing it, the Indiana Department of Correction, or IDOC, is planning to give tablets containing educational and entertainment materials to all inmates at no cost. There's a hitch, however. Access would be pricey. For example, renting a movie would cost $8, a music subscription would cost $25 a month, and podcasts, which are free for the non-incarcerated, would cost $9 a month. The IDOC is thinking of hiring the for-profit company Global Tellink to provide the services. The company could generate over $6 million a year by providing tablet services to the over 1.8 million Indiana inmates each year. The IDOC would obtain $750,000 out of this deal. The Mississippi Attorney General recently accused Global Tellink of bribing the state's former corrections commissioner in exchange for no-bid contracts. CNN reported that the Federal Bureau of Prisons is eliminating funding for 16 halfway houses throughout the U.S. Critics say the halfway houses are essential programs that enable prisoners to transition out of incarceration. According to the Bureau of Prisons itself, the facilities, quote, provide a safe, structured, supervised environment, as well as employment counseling, job placement, financial management assistance, and other programs and services, unquote. The funding cuts come a few weeks after Attorney General Jeff Sessions appointed Mark Inch to be the new Bureau of Prisons Director. A retired Army Major General, Inch has experience with the military's corrections and law enforcement system. A director at the Sentencing Project, a criminal justice reform organization, so the cuts won't necessarily cause inmates to go straight from incarceration to freedom, but that the cuts could decrease the time inmates have to become used to life after prison. On last week's Kite Line, we shared a conversation with Akili Shakur, whose husband Shaka Shakur was on his second week of hunger strike at the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility. Now, IDOC Watch reports that as of November 16th, prisoners have been moved out of cells in which they were caged and monitored by cameras for 24 hours a day to cells which are caged inside for 23 hours a day instead. They began eating meals as best they could after not eating for more than two weeks and were told that this was a first step to dealing with their grievances, which include inedible food, tampering with mail, and abuse from guards. The partial wins for Wabash Valley Correctional Facility hunger strikers should be celebrated. Without the outside support and solidarity, the prisoners never would have gained any form of better treatment or conditions, but the fight is still ongoing, especially for one prisoner. Shaka Shakur still faces $3,000 in medical billing after being set up by Wabash Valley Correctional Facility staff and is subsequently unable to purchase anything in commissary, such as stamps to communicate, has yet to receive his stolen property, including his TV and stamps which allow him to communicate to the outside, and receiving the threat of being transferred out of state. He's already about four hours away from his family. IDOC Watch asks that all charges and fines against Shaka Shakur relating to the incident on August 31st be dropped, all of his stolen property be returned, and an internal investigation of Wabash Valley Correctional Facility be conducted. IDOC Watch says that first steps mean nothing when prisoners in Wabash Valley Correctional Facility are still unable to defend themselves against charges, false or not, due to a good old boy mentality and familial dynamics within the institution when they are caged in cells for more than 23 hours a day and when they are treated as subhuman on a systematic basis. 
IDOC Watch says that first steps will only be significant when there's accountability and consequences for staff that cause harm and fail to follow policy and when prisoners are treated with dignity. These internal reforms to prisoners' conditions do nothing to change the fact that prison is inherently violent and operates as an institution that dehumanizes, exploits, and controls people every day. But such reforms are necessary to the 2.3 million people who are currently incarcerated in the U.S., people we cannot neglect when our larger goal is abolition of all forms of exploitation. We encourage people and organizations to act in solidarity with Shaka as he continues to fight against the abuse and exploitation he and other prisoners deal with on a day-to-day basis. This week, we finish a conversation with Solomon X, a former prisoner in southern Illinois. Two weeks ago, he shared stories of different issues he'd faced in a variety of facilities. Now, he continues talking about his experiences behind the walls and about his transition to life on the outside. Here he is. Health issues generally always go mm-hmm. uncared for. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's almost just it a general prisons. practice. I mean, you just literally have to be dying and, and, and a guard has to kind of see it because if you can tell him these things, like, well, hold on, let me get back with you. And he's going to do some other things. And you can, yeah, you know, so health health issues always go untreated, mm-hmm. you know, 90, 90, 95% of the time. I mean, and then um, especially serious ones, you know, if you have ulcers, hernias, whatever the case may be, those usually always go untreated. So you just in there just messed up. Deaths, you know, by the hand of staff. You know, when, you know, an inmate, you know, quote unquote, and gotten too out of line, you know, they'll take him to SIG. And so, you know, as they take him to SIG, you know, they, you know, they cuff him and, you know, was putting his hands behind his back and, you know, got him all bent over. I forget what the kind of position they had. But, you know, it's common practice that they'll beat up a guy, you know, once they get him back there, put him in the shower, get away from the cameras. You know, they'll beat him up. You know, there's been uh, deaths occurring. There's no central air, so, you know, deaths by the heat. When you walk in them, it's like almost hard to breathe because, you know, the air is so thick. And so, you know, well over 100 degrees. And things to actually reform yourself. And that's the biggest and most important thing about any prison to me is, are there things available there to where you can actually reform yourself, you know, uh, learn a skill, you know, educate yourself, so on and so forth. And it's just, and so, and that's what I look at in terms of, you know, really bad, ugly prisons. I mean, like Forest City, when I went back there, this was in 2014 after I got out mm-hmm. of state prison. This is a federal prison. But that had even deteriorated quite a bit, you know, because now it was, they had closed their Unicorn. They had a couple of vocational programs, like a carpentry shop and uh, some type of diesel mechanic, but it was just really, it, you could tell it was one, not a carpentry shop, I think it was probably the best. But the diesel mechanic and all these other things, you can tell it was really just something that they put on paper to say, hey, we have programs. Mm-hmm. But if you looked at this stuff, you know, it was like, because they didn't really have the facilities. And uh, the places were clean, but the staff was just nasty as far as um, just how they treated. I mean, that, that was one of those atmospheres where it was really designed to kill your spirit, you know what I mean? Just just kill everything inside of you, you know? So Menard was too, but that was, that federal prison was just, most of the staff is white, you know, the correctional officers, you know, you have a few uh, black guys here and there, or women, or whatever the case may be, but uh, most of them are white. And so, you know, just, so you have this whole mindset that comes along with their background 
then Southern Illinois and just how, you know, the, 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 um, just how it more or less is here, the culture here, you know, as far as, you know, race relations, whatever, however you want to say it, you know, it, it, it definitely is, you know what I mean? Because it's just, it's this old mindset still of plantation, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, you're here, you know, we own you. You have to do what we say, and if we say you go to work, you're going to work, and you don't get no pay. And so, yeah, you you know, and there and there's an expectation, you know, you know, being a black man to you know uh, act within a certain way, right? When things are going a way that you don't like, you know, you expect to just you know deal with it. You know, I mean, you you you're expected to. Um, Okay, well, this is it. This is how it is, and you have to either accept it or whatever the case may be. So that that spirit is always there. You know what I mean? Because you know, prisons, you know, are just kind of these new uh, slave plantations. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you have to think about a country who has had, you know, you know, three hundred, you know, four hundred, three hundred, four hundred years of chattel slavery. You know, plantations, and then when you have a prison phenomenon coming into place, that same mindset. You know, it's taken into that. So it's a, it's a mindset that comes along with the people who are in charge of these places, and it, it operates the same way. The spirit is the same way, you know. And to use one inmate against another the same way. So you know, like Malcolm said, you had the field Negro versus the house Negro, and the one that was closer to uh, master and. You know, he could get the good job or he stayed in the house and, you know, got to eat the good food. And these are like the workers who get the good jobs in the prison and, you know, they can eat a little better food and they get treated a little better, not very much, you know. And at the same time, they use them to say, you know, what's going on with this guy? What's up with him? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? You know you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the same divide and conquer routine, no matter how you slice it up. It's the oldest trick in the book. But when you put thousands of men in a desperate situation, you're going to always find some people that's willing to sell out the rest of them mm-hmm. for just a little better, piece, little two more pieces of crumbs. It's just, it's sad. And it's disheartening. And this is why I believe, you know, in places like Menard, there hasn't just been this massive uprising mm-hmm. because, of course, you have to organize the masses. And so word has to be gotten out at one particular time, some type of time. So when they hear, you know, they run back to masses, and, you know, they um uh, doing this and, you know, I ain't with them. But this is what's going on. Like, OK, good, good. And so they all get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they I mean, and so. That's that's where it comes from. I mean, and, you know, you get places like Menard. They'll never truly reform unless the guys in there just force it to reform. Because, you know, what we're doing is really good, you know, bringing awareness to the population. And even the prison, um, even, you know, writing letters to them, you know, giving them hope, encouragement, you know, and, and create solidarity. There isn't a place out here that I've seen besides the center, Right. There isn't a place outside, besides the center, that actually really seeks to say, okay, let's reform these guys and bring them to the table, see what kind of ideas and visions they have, and, you know, do our best to help facilitate that. But right, Center for Empowerment and Justice, 
It's located in Carmody, Illinois, right across the street from us. What is this? Washington? Yes. Washington Street. I forget the address, 214 or something mm -hmm. like that, give or take. But anyway, it's located here in Carmody, Illinois. And it was started and founded by uh, two guys, uh, James Chapman, you know, who's um, a, an attorney, you know, retired attorney, uh, and a guy by the name of Reverend Lawwood, who's a preacher and a small, who's a preacher at a church around the corner, Rock Hill Church, and also a small business owner in uh, Murfreesboro. So they founded this place basically saying, hey, you know, we want to teach people job skills, you know, teach people how to be entrepreneurs coming out of prison because, you know, there's not a lot available out here. Now, you have urban areas to where, you know, there are more social programs to where you can, you know, actually get a few things. But there's not that here, you know, for guys returning a lot. I mean, most of us, we don't have access to any type of housing, um, federal housing. You know, we so, so many of us, can't even get it, especially if we have drug convictions. So we're not allowed to get federal housing. We can get link for a certain particular time, but then, you know, if we, you know, meet that threshold um, income, gross income, we can't get it no more. And that's $1,634, which is nothing no. a month. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's gross. You know what I mean? So we don't have access to a lot of things. You know, housing, supplemental, like um, the food link, those would be really good and would be a major help. But, you know, there's two sides to every story. However, the Center for Empowerment and Justice, they are not a social service group. You know, they are saying, listen, you know, we want to be able to bring guys that's coming out of prison to the table. Uh, what kind of vision do you have for yourself? What kind of vision do you have for your life? What do you want to get involved in and see how can we help facilitate that? We help men and women. And so reason why I was drawn to that because, you know, I've always been, you know, more of an entrepreneur. You know, I've always been more of an individual who will just go out and start my own thing and just, you know, see where things go. And so that drawn me, that drawn me to it. And the idea and, you know, to see men and women coming together, you know, based on that idea and the potential we had and seeing that, hey, you know, this can be really good, you know, you know, encouraged me to want to be a part of, you know, the volunteers. So, you know, being able to volunteer in the community, because a lot of times coming out of prison, you know, if you've been in prison once or twice, like I have, you know, people are a little bit more apprehensive to, you know, give you a second chance, whatever the case may be. So getting involved in volunteer work, being involved in the community, you know, gives us that opportunity to, you know, show people in our community, respective communities or other to say, hey, you know, these guys are really serious about what they're doing, you know, they're reformed, they're changed, you know, they want to be part of the community, they want to make a difference. And so, you know, as time, you know, uh, doing that for, you know, prolonged period of time, you know, you'll start to build, you know, trust. People have a legitimate concern, you know, of people coming out of prison and saying, hey, you know, what's up with these guys? Because, you know, I mean, I've met good, bad, and ugly. Mm -hmm. You know, I've met some guys, like, hey, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, I mean, you just have to look at the facts of things, you know. And I've met some guys that they've done things by circumstance. And there's many layers to it, mm -hmm. you know, of why a guy goes to prison, uh, what brought him to a point of doing whatever, you know. So all these things would have to be unpacked also to really get to the core. But if you can get to the core of it, you know, and then get to the core of, you know, the human being, who we are, men and women, 
you know, no one, in my opinion, is unredeemable. But anyway, so the sinner, they seek to, you know, to 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 bring out the best and saying, hey, you know, some of these guys aren't that bad. You know, let's um, see if we can give them some type of platform to, you know, just, you know, fly and float and do what they do. And, uh, and so that's why I joined on to it. I'm working on a tiny house right now. So, you know, me and another guy that I was incarcerated with, um, he had a vision of a tiny house. You know, what he told me yesterday, it's funny you said it, because he told me this just yesterday. He said he was in prison, and he said he was watching TV, and he was looking at all these people building tiny houses, you know, and this tiny house craze going on. And he said, hey, I'm going to do that when I get out. And when we were in the halfway house together, um, Centerstone, the Department of Labor had has an office in Centerstone, and a guy by the name of Robert, who's also an ex-offender, is working as a mentor in Centerstone, and so he would bring us down here to the center, and that's how I learned about it. And so me and Eugene, we became you know pretty heavily involved in it, and so he got out before me, and so he got out, he started coming down here, but as I was in Centerstone, still coming down here with the Department of Legal Program, or DOL, as we say, I noticed him working on that house back then. I'm like, hey, man, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to build a tiny house, so it just, you know, um, started materializing and manifested, but they helped him with that. You know, they supported him in that idea. You know, they bought him some some material, and uh, but at the same time, we've been creative about things we do to you know because we don't have a bunch of money, you know, and we're seeking to go ahead and start um, raising money and you know um, start another small enterprises out of there. But they they facilitated that, and I like that. And at that particular time, I was working for a home builder too, so I said, "Hey, I know a little son." I said, "I want to come help." So. So we started on that, and it's just it's, it's developing. I mean, we're, we're, we've been working on it, you know, constantly, day by day. You know, we'll be finished with it very soon. If you got people with men and women, you know, with energy and vision, and they want to do something, I mean, that's that's the place to be because a lot of people do want things handed to them. And, you know, I understand that there's a place for social services, but, you know, it's just like anything with true reform. You know, sometimes, you, you know, you have to earn what you want out here. You know what I mean? So a lot of us in prisons, you know, we don't, you know, come out, you know, just wanting all this help, you know, and not seeking to do anything. But what happens is there aren't places to help facilitate that. You know, everyone needs to know the truth and yeah. the history, you know, and, and it, you know, it's empowering, you know, to African-American children, you know, but we have to know the truth about things, you know, because... You know, there's a social structure and a social order that's just been set up, you know, and, you know, people who are coming into it, you know, white folks who live in it now, you know what I mean? They didn't, in a sense, create it. You know, they just, well, you know, what's what's wrong? Because people like, you born into a world and you, you look at it like, well, this is the way it is. But then after you start looking at things, looking at history, uh, looking at the history of people and nations and saying, well, damn, how did things get like this? And saying, well, that's not right, and that's not right. They shouldn't have done that. Where, where, where you know, you have the uh, white society where they fail at it is not seeking to help change mm -hmm. things. You know what I mean? When you say, okay, this is wrong, and, I, you know, I'm not a racist, you know, but when I say, okay, well... I don't really care. I can just leave it how it is because, you know, I um, directly or indirectly, you know, benefit from it. And when you have a whole system and a social order that 
was set up, you know, to oppress a particular people, and you don't seek to, you know, help rectify that in some way, you know, means, then, you know, then you're part of it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and and so that's that's a big deal. You know, it's yes. a big deal. So, so yeah, that that program is going on over there, the literacy program. So, Orlin, you know, what he uh, attempts to do is, you know, um, teach a lot about our history. You know, that is not taught in the mainstream schools and. Um, and, you know, just, you know, and basic literacy, too, because, you know, so many, you know, uh, African-American children, you know, they're coming out as almost like functioning illiterates, you know, mm-hmm. in school. You know, the school system's failing, you know. So, you know, we, we, we have a vision of just building a new community over there. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm a big you know, advocate of, you know, personal responsibility, you know, always have been because I can look at a social order and I can say, okay, that's wrong. There are, you know, a million obstacles against me and, you know, it's bad. And I can sit back and oh, it's bad, you know, and complain about it and, you know, and use that in a sense, you know, almost like a crutch to not move forward. But, you know, but, you know, when when we're dealing with, you know, knowledge itself, whatever school of thought, religious persuasion, whatever the case may be that an individual adheres to, you know, that that guiding force, that, that guiding principle of what you believe should be done and how you should approach and live your life. When, yeah, I believe a person finds that, then that's when they... um going on that but anyway so going back to personal responsibility when I had released the first time you know I had a lot of these things and ideas on my mind also and understood and knew you know who I was and had made the transition into the nation of Islam and you know accepted Islam and you know had gotten more of a root within myself you know I had got more of a root to my history you know my ancestors you know and then you know having a purpose for my life you know and Believing that, you know, the solution, you know, to the problems in America, to the race problem, you know, were being proposed through the Nation of Islam. And so coming into that and then coming out the first time and saying, okay, some things need to be done. A lot of times we, you know, this world always gets us to think in terms of money, money. We need to have some money to do things. We need to have some money. What should we do? And then at the same time, when you experience a, uh, an amount of deprivation, you know, being exposed to, you know, all these great things, you know, out here, you know, you know, a lot of times what happens with us men is just women, you know, you had a woman in all these years, so you had a lot of women out here. But, however, leaving those guiding principles and then getting off, getting, getting off track, you know, indulging over here, indulging over there, doing these things, not staying focused on what I should have been doing because I'm, you know, chasing mammon, you know, worshiping mammon, chasing money, whatever the case may be, you know, then start living a this lifestyle that was, you know, that, that got me off track. Then, you know, I said, hey, you know, I thought, you know, hey, I need to go ahead and uh, run in this bank. You know, that's a pretty good idea. And, you know, from one perspective, you know, when we look at, you know, banks and how they oppress everybody, you know, we say, yeah, right on, you know, <laughs> from one perspective, you know, we like, hey, okay, you know, you know, but from a totally different perspective when, 
you know, a man or a woman is thinking about their life and, you know, what they need to be doing in life and um, how do you really deal with that problem of, you know, these banks and how they're oppressing the people and so on and so forth. And, you know, because like you say, hey, we can go, we can rob bank, they insure, it wouldn't even hurt them, you know what I mean? And, you know, but when I looked at, like I say, these guiding principles that I have for my life, then what would be the more effective tool of not only dealing with the social order, the current social order, and we have to just work to change it. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to work to build communities on new ideas, you know, new concepts, you know, new relations of how we see each other. Because, you know, it's not about hating one people or another. You know what I mean? It's about understanding what the truth thing, what the truth is um, and seeing how we can be in harmony with that. You know what I mean? And so the Center for Empowerment, you know, coming out this second time and having a place there that would help to facilitate, you know, these ideas, you know, I, I seen it as something really good. You mm -hmm. know, so I... I I um, you know, I grasped onto it, and it, and it should be duplicated in a lot of places because this place really needs that type of idea. Because, like I say, you know, the county and the place where I'm from, Pulaski County, Pulaski, Pulaski that's in Pulaski County or Alexander County, Cairo, which is right up the street. Very poor, very impoverished, and so we need to be able to create things that is that is going to empower people. You know, not seeking to beg the power, the existing power structure for things, you know, give us this, give us that, give us this, give us that. But, you know, it all starts with a change in thinking. It all starts with a certain knowledge that you have to have to say, okay, you know, I'm going to move in this direction. And a lot of times the traditional views, ways, and ideas that, you know, this world or current system of social order things or whatever have you, they do not they, they always seek to misdirect people mm -hmm. because they want to keep everybody oppressed. They want to keep everybody enslaved. They want to keep everybody enslaved to one thing or another, whether it's debt, whether it's, um, you know, a certain way of life that is going to that is not going to allow you to connect with, you know, the, the, the inner greatness within yourself, you know, keep you off track, off focus, you know, constantly have you worrying about the small things. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this world does that. You know, and it throws all type of mess at you all day long to do that. So the change, because they have Change in Minds campaign over here in the center. So the change, you know, always begins with that change in mind. It always begins with that change of thought. And then, you know, applying it and moving out on it and say, okay, this is what needs to be done. We're going to focus on this. And then, you know, and have a degree of focus and discipline. You know, and these are things that... You know, in a sense, I'm not taught in school, but, you know, you can create environments that will foster them. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You can create an environment that will create a whole nother culture and a whole nother mindset of things to where we can begin to separate ourselves from this monolithic system that everybody's involved in that has enslaved everybody. You know, black, white, brown, yellow, whatever, you know, by in one form or fashion or another. So we have to see that bigger picture and then have to say, you know, what role and what responsibility does every respective community have, sure. you know, in solving the problem? You know, figuring out, well, I mean, we see, we see what the problem is and, you know, what is the best solution? You know, so, and going from there, just doing the work, you know, getting up every day and just doing it. You know, once we see, once we know, once we understand it, 
then it's, you know, the always the million dollar question is what you going to do about it, you know, because we can sit here and, you know, talk about the issue till we blew in the face, but that doesn't change it. So being proactive about the solution, you know, working toward it and just getting it done. And it's a lifelong journey, you know what I mean? Hell, we can be working at this 50 years and 50 years from now, we're like, oh, okay, you know, and all these other kids, grandkids, and, you know, other younger people, you know, who've, you know, hopefully have taken up the mantle. That's an important part also, you know, being able to understand that, you know, we standing on other people's shoulders that had visions, ideas, and then, you know, we come up and we see what they're doing and say, yeah, we take on that mantle. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box. KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512 or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.